Sunny 16 presents. Welcome to episode 36 of I Dream of Cameras, the podcast about cameras and camera collecting, brought to you by the gang at the Sunny 16 Podcast. My name is Jeff Greenstein. And my name is Gabe Sachs. Welcome, welcome, and Jeff is on location. That's as exciting. I, I, I am. I am on location. This is a total change of pace. It's Can a, you dig it? We're doing, literally, we're, we're, you're on location for our show. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to say you're on assignment. What do you think of that? I'm on assignment. And yes. you know what? This is... This could be the longest trip I've ever taken in my life. Don't rob my house. Okay, so. <laughs> Do not. I am currently on location in Atlanta. Yep. I am flying on to the United Kingdom in a few days. Oh, my god! I am hoping to meet up with our patrons at the Sunny 16 podcast, if they will have me. I think they will. I think they will. Yeah, so there's plenty of adventure ahead, and we will try to keep you apprised as the adventure unfolds. It's exciting! It is. It is really cool. One thing I do have to bring up, because, yes. you know, I was, I did tell you I had nothing to say and about, you know, 36 <laughs> and 36 yes. years ago, but... I actually remembered I wrote one down. <laughs> so I'm very, I'm very impressed. Do you know what happened in 36 years ago in 1986? What happened? Kodak invents the megapixel sensor. Oh. That's, that's interesting. Okay, that is interesting. Yeah. That's that, actually interesting. Yeah, yeah. Very exciting. Okay, so is that saying it? they invented the first digital sensor of more than a million pixels? Is that the significance of that? Well, I think it, the, the way it happens is Kodak produced the first megapixel sensor, a fingernail-sized solid-state device capable of recording 1.4 million pixels. I feel like one of the first digital cameras that I had was a Kodak digital camera that trumpeted the fact that it was like over a million pixels, and that was a very big deal. <laughs> yes, it was a big deal. So, yes. Well, that is big. Yeah. Gabe, that's big. Yeah. That's big for episode 36. That's what I like also, to bring you. Also, you know, the 35-millimeter frame is 24 by 36 millimeters. So even though we named last week's episode after the 35-millimeter, this is technically the 35-millimeter episode. Uh, Does that make any sense? I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> That's what I learned in improv. I'm with you. This is a very exciting episode because in the back 55% of today's episode <laughs> yes. is an interview that we conducted a few weeks back with Chris Chu, who is an L.A. photographer and YouTuber whom we love. Oh, yes. Gabe, you want to tell us a little bit about Chris? Yeah. Tell us just a little so, bit about Chris. Chris Tease has a it. great YouTube channel. He introduced you cameras. You 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 learn about his life. I mean, he's newish to L.A. You know, he was from up north, and he has a really interesting story. So it's really fun to talk to him, and I love lending him cameras because he does such great videos, and it's very exciting. So, yes. Yes. We will so be speaking stay to tuned Chris. for that. Fantastic conversation, propulsive, dynamic, hilarious. It's a great one. So stay tuned for that. But yes. speaking of travel adventures, <gasps> Mr. Oh, Sachs. Yes. Oh, yes. When we last left these verdant shores, you were about to depart for Canada. Canada. Yes. Canada. And you brought two Leicas. Yes. 
and you ventured forth. Talk a little bit about that adventure. Let's hear it. Oh my gosh, it was absolutely fantastic. I was, you know, I got in touch with, Je uh, you know, Jessica Devick of Devick Photos. Yeah, previous and, interviewee. Yep, she's in Toronto. And we decided let's go meet, grab some coffee, and then go to our favorite place, Downtown Cameras. So uh, Downtown Camera in Toronto is one of those places that, it has stuff, okay? So besides an amazing <laughs> staff, and I texted with Amit, who we uh, met up with, and he was a very gracious host, as is everyone at Downtown Camera. But we, you know, it's one of those places that there's stuff going on. Like, it's all the time. It's like when you walk in the camera store, things are happening. People are getting film developed. People are looking at cameras. There's a used department, and the used department has all kinds of cool stuff. There's a Leica specialist. There's... A bag wall. <gasps> what? Oh yeah. Did you did you weep like that? Uh, you were was it like you were you. at the Wailing Wall it only was, with bags? It was exactly like I was at the Wailing Wall. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you, there was there was besides the new bags, there is a used bag wall. So of course I'm over there tooling and talking and everything. But they have fun stuff. They have fun stuff in the cabinets. They have that mini little Leica, that little digital thing. And oh yeah, you know Jessica had never held a Leica 3F, one of those old, you know, wow. LT. It, it just it was so much fun. So so we did that. So downtown camera, amazing hosts and. And we're so incredible in showing us stuff and, you know, t geeking out on cameras with them that we also, after that, Jessica and I went shooting. We went out into the world and, and shot some pictures. And to see her in action was so cool because she, the way she approaches people, no one's not, it really feels like no one's going to say no. Like wow. she really, you know, gets great shops. Sometimes she just grabs them and other times she'll go up to people and, and, and ask them, but she's amazing. It, we had such a great time and I really hopefully will get to do that again in Toronto, but that was the excitement. It was downtown Cameron, Jessica Devick. It was just perfect. Great. Perfect combo. How did you get out of there without buying anything? Come on. Let me you tell you something. Anything. It was very, very difficult because Amit showed me this light that was just amazing. It's the Godox M1, and it is, if you don't know it, look it up. It's incredible. It's a okay. light capable of so much stuff, and it's tiny. It's a little compact light, but it was great. I mean, it was very hard to leave there without another camera or a lens, but I'm sure my next trip I will be raiding their cabinets. Fabulous. Okay, and has the film from this trip been processed yet? Yeah. So that? here's oh. here's the here's the issue. The issue is that we need to solve a mystery, and the mystery is, I shot two rolls of HP five that came back as if you threw sand on the front of my camera. There is so, so much grain. grain. It's so much grain. You yeah. saw some of the ones from your house, but yeah. we can't figure it out. So I'm shooting one more roll of that group of HP five and see if there was an issue with that batch or if it's what we suspect with the meter that yeah. it wasn't sort of coupled correctly but i don't know and we'll this see. is the meter that i shamed you into buying so really so really it's fault. all your fault exactly <laughs> exactly if i had the digital meter there'd be no issues but... then it, would, it never would have happened that's absolutely true right so uh all well. right well i'm 
I'm excited to crack this mystery yes. and see if the blame can be rightly assigned to me. We will discuss it. There's many things we're going to discuss in the future, including labs. There you go. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, I, as we've said, am on a trip right now. And there's been a lot of talk of travel cameras. Our prodigious mailbag will contain some recommendations from people on what they bring on trips. Obviously, yes. I am on an extended trip and I had to give a lot of thought about which camera to bring. In fact, we played a guessing game and I was wrong every single time. Okay, so this was the thought process, yes. okay? I knew it needed to be a 35 millimeter compact, right. okay? Because most of the film in my fridge was 35 millimeters, so forget about bringing the Perkeo or anything cute that's like 120 or something. It's <laughs> gotta be 35 millimeter. Right. Had to be pocketable, okay? As much as I am strongly identified with the Alpa 11SI, I have a very tightly packed carry-on bag here. And there was just not room to bring an SLR and all the trimmings, okay? So I right. needed a reliable, compact camera. My first thought, Olympus XA4. Do you know why I didn't do that? Because I don't like it? Mm, partially. <laughs> you cannot set the exposure manually. And I was thinking about... Some of the blown shots with the XA4, when I'm in low light and I push that red button and it goes tick, tick. And I know that I've handheld a shot that is going to come out blurry and wrong. So wow. I needed a compact camera with full manual control. Already I have like whittled down the stack quite a bit. Right. I thought, like a CL, that has always been one of my favorite travel cameras, but it is too bulky to stick in the pocket of my jeans or my leather jacket. Okay, I get that. And I thought about cameras I've brought to the UK in the past, which have been excellent travel cameras. One was Pentax Auto 110, but I'm not doing 110. One was the Minox. I've taken great shots with the Minox, but I thought, you know, that can't be my main camera for this trip. Right. What I landed on was the Roly 35 SE. Now, I have never taken this camera on an extended trip. I have taken its cousin the Petri Color 35, which was very satisfactory for this purpose. Right. But the Roly 35, okay, it's got full, basically, match needle control, okay, and excellent 40-millimeter lens, sonar. I'm feeling confident about bringing this camera. And the entire deal is so pocketable, like fits in the pocket of my jeans. So perfect, right? That should be enough, right? Yes. It's not enough. I decided to bring a second camera. And you know, Gabe, I'm so I never proud knew this. Of you. I'm so proud of you. I couldn't be more excited. This is awesome. The second camera was the Minox LX. Wow. Because as I said, I have very much enjoyed some of the shots that I've gotten. Now, this is a sub-miniature Minox, guys. We are not talking about the 35-millimeter Minox. We are talking about the 9.5-millimeter cartridge film, which looks like Super 8. Right. So that will be my backup camera when I don't want to stick a rolly in my pocket because the Minox in your pocket is like having a pen in your pocket. You barely notice it. Right. So that is what I arrived at. I brought all my Minox film. I brought four or five rolls of 35 millimeter, figuring I could buy more if I had to. That is my travel setup. Critique it, gang! What do you think? I actually think it's a great travel setup, but I'm confused. I mean, size-wise, is the CL, it really fits in your pocket? The you mean the Roly 35? Yeah, the Roly. What's the difference in Roly 35 and the CL? 
It's to, in my mind they're similar, but I don't know. I don't know. The CL is about thirty-five percent larger. Oh, okay. Then the CL wrong, is I'm like wrong. if you took two packs of playing cards, one stacked atop the other, that is right. the size of the, the. I'm sorry, that's the size of the Rolly thirty-five. Got it. Okay. Okay. Double stack of playing cards and the CL. I mean, that's a proper rangefinder. It's not as wide as a Leica M3, but it's three quarters the width of a Leica M3. Right. So not really pocketable. So. I'm rolling the dice, gang. I might be wrong. But this feels good. I'm confident in this lens. I've had good results with this camera. We shall see. Well, the look, other thing I did, by the you're way, happy. Is I did you're not happy. Bring That's any, all we care about. So far. Right. I did not bring any film over 400 speed because I'm so scared about these millimeter wave X-ray machines. I agree. So I brought some Svima 125 and some Color Plus 200. And that's it. So we'll see how it goes. Nicely done. That's the rundown. Feel free to take shots at me, gang. Speaking <laughs> of taking shots. Yes. You know, I have often taken shots at the esteemed company known as Polaroid on <laughs> yeah. this podcast. Would you agree yes. with that? Yes, you have. Yes, you have. I have come not to bury Polaroid, but to praise them. What? At a recent empanada party at my house, <laughs> which Gabe Sachs attended. Yes, I did. I did what I traditionally do at these parties, which is I have my Polaroid 690 on standby to photograph all the guests. Yes. And my favorite instant film to use at these parties is duochrome. I have used the pink duochrome and the blue duochrome and the yellow duochrome. Guess what, gang? What color did Polaroid. you use? <laughs> Green duochrome is out now. It's great. And it's not that expensive. It's, it's about great. $15 a pack, cheaper than color. Yep. And the results were wonderful. Blue Note album cover. Yep. Really cool. Kudos to Polaroid. This is what we want, gang. We don't want Tava sandals with a Polaroid pack of film. <laughs> we want more cool-ass stocks to shoot. Yep. I'm so excited. I loved it. I will absolutely order more. I think I posted one of them on my Instagram. Yeah, they're great. My kid. They look really great. I actually great. think you took that shot, and I forgot to credit you. But anyway. <laughs> it's just fine. Praise to Polaroid for the duochrome. Okay, now we come to... Okay, we actually didn't even announce our email address in the last episode because... We were so excited. We have so much email to get through, and we are not going to get through it all today. We have 22 items oh in my. our moldering... <laughs> mailbag. So... We're going to knock off a few of them, and then we're going to roll into our Chris Chu interview. Let's start with Michael Butkowitz wrote, My first listener interaction ever! This is dated June 1st, okay? Hi, Jeff and Gabe. Firstly, let's start with mandatory paragraph praising how amazing it is to listen to every episode of your wonderful podcast because I know you're going to skip it while reading anyway. I'm just going to leave some space here where everyone can insert their own words of love and gratitude. The... And then there's an inch of blank space. <laughs> wow, that was something, right? But I seriously love how full of energy you guys are. I'm thankful for showing how that crazy analog hobby can be a true blessing. On to the topic, the travel camera. He says, for me, it comes down to one question. Whether I'm going to a certain place knowing that taking pictures is a priority or it's just a trip with friends to have a great time first and documenting it is a secondary objective. In my first scenario, the choice would be my Canon A1. 
as this is the camera I know best and I'm fully confident using it. It has all the gimmicks I need. Recently discovered depth of field preview. Uh, anyway, he knows exactly what he's getting with that camera. He right. brings focal lengths of 28 and 50 and 135. So an A1 and three lenses, that's a big outfit. He said, on the other hand, there are some trips like this one I'm doing, during which I don't have time to carefully choose my composition, switch lens, choose how to adjust the light meter, etc. In this scenario, my choice is pretty similar to Jeff's, but a level lower, the Olympus XA3. Everything about it you've said is true. Pocket size, clamshell design, detachable flash, paired with sharp lens and exposure compensation, more than I expect from such a compact camera. Did not go for the XA4 because of the slightly higher price, more awkward focal length. 28 is great, but I can't imagine working with it as a default. Gonna end it here before it gets far too long. <laughs> Lots of beautiful cameras and even more beautiful photographs to both of you. Take care, Michael Butkowitz. He is underscore p-s-t-r-y-k-a-c-z underscore on instagram I, I don't know what that is but i spelled it michael thank you isn't this interesting gabe he is talking about two different modes yeah. for the travel camera what do you think you know first of all i i'm still i have to tell you that i'm still in shock that you're taking two cameras yeah i know like i just i just think it's like <laughs> you know i'm still at the yeah, two modes. You know what else is crazy? Jeff Greenside is taking two cameras to a trip. I know. I know. But you know what? Chances are I will not have both on me at once. Like, I'm going to go out for the day with one in my pocket, not both. Really? Yeah. Okay. Why do I need both? What do I need both for? Because in case am... there's a big news event and you're a photojournalist uh, and yes, you forget one, then you're going to have your phone. <laughs> you know, I am going to a country that has no government. That's right. Oh my gosh, your government. It's in list. chaos. Yeah. What if I meet the next prime minister? Right. At a pret-a-manger. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to figure out how that might work. Okay. Next item in the mailbag. Hey, Mike Crawford wrote to us. Mike wow. Crawford, who often writes for Amateur Photographer, wrote to us. He said, hi, Jeff and Gabe. Great show for number 33. Okay, that's embarrassing. That was three episodes. Three 33, how did that happen? He said, you mentioned about favored 35mm point-and-shoots, and I might have mentioned before, but I'm amazed the Konica Hexraf has yeah. not achieved major cult status, though probably glad it hasn't. Have used two over 25 years. They are sadly going up in price. Didn't Gabe mention one on the podcast previously? Yes. Do you have one? Yes. I sold What's it. I remember, so deal? what happened in an early episode, like I'm talking about the first or second episode, I was talking about that I sold this camera to this amazing photographer and I was so happy to sell it to him because he was so good. He really wanted this camera. I sold it to him. And then a couple years later, I was looking for another one and just put it out there in the photo community. And thankfully someone says, yes, I have one. And I bought it and I love it. I really wow. love it. That could I've be. I've never seen you shoot with that. Yeah, I shot, shot some of uh, Liliana and, and I, wow. uh, I love it. Yeah. Okay. Well, he also mentions, and I think we might have mentioned this in passing. He says, I just saw that there was a rare half frame version. No way. No way. I've never there even heard of that. There is a half frame one. They made like 50 of them. Holy oh. moly. He said for him, the Hex RAF is really his main 35 millimeter camera. Mike Crawford said that. 
and wow. seems to be fine for what I want to shoot with this format, mostly my grainy nocturnes, though he has really gotten into the washy S high contrast, fine grain film. He said, I did a series of articles for Amateur Photographer on different formats and have attached the one on 35mm, which mentions the Hexar. These were more of a personal reflection on the different formats I use rather than anything definitive and historical. As always, keep up the good work. All the best, Mike. Then there is a PS. He said only 50 half-frame Hexars were made. So the prices are ridiculous. And he points to an auction on eBay, which I don't even know if it's still up. Let's have a look. I'm sure it's some insane amount. Very rare. Here it is. It's going for $6,000. What is This it? is a prototype. Right. Oh. Hexar prototype half frame 72 camera. It says half frame on the edge. Damn. Yeah. Crazy. $6,000 from the Leica store Lise in the Netherlands. Holy cow. Mike. Thank you for writing. Now, <laughs> Rolf Tessum writes in. As we know, Rolf is on an odyssey yes. to try and bulk roll ectochrome. Here's yes. where he is. Hi, guys. 400 feet of ectochrome is here, and I made an important discovery. Although 100-foot bulk loads are normally supplied on a small core, it turns out that a 100-foot 35-millimeter daylight spool, such as used on the Bell & Howell IMO movie camera, fits perfectly in the bulk loader. You are probably familiar with the 16-millimeter version used on the Bolex. This is the same thing, only 35. Using this spool makes life a lot easier, as you can imagine. The alternative I discovered is using something called a flange, basically a one-sided split reel. Fortunately, I found a 35-millimeter daylight reel after rummaging around in my darkroom. He said, actually getting a 35-millimeter, 400-foot ectochrome roll is not so straightforward. First of all, it appears to have been removed from the Kodak website. Maybe Euphoria bought all the stock. Oh my but after gosh. calling Kodak customer service, they knew nothing about the item disappearing and processed the order. Stay tuned. Now he said, meanwhile, his experiments with the baby Roloflex continue. He said he wishes the splitter process. Now this is him splitting down 120 film to 127. Okay, he says, right. I wish the splitter process was a little less fiddly. The problem stems from the fact that 120 film is not only wider than 127, it is also longer. Ah, uh -huh. <laughs> as you know, 120 is taped only at the head end. When you rewind it, you have to tape it on the other end. This can cause problems, lots of fiddliness. However, the results he got were interesting, and he attaches a recent one from Provincetown on expired, though frozen, Portra 400. Gabe, did you see these shots? Yeah, it's amazing. Beautiful, vivid color. I got to say, Rolf, for all the effort you're putting in, it looks like it's worth it. What I want him to do, though, man, spool this up and sell it to the masses. Yes. How great would that be? It would be so great. It would be enough to get me to buy a baby Rolly. <laughs> Rolf, we commend you for being such an enterprising young man. And with that, we shall close <laughs> the mailbag. All right. Here we go. Oh, I'm so excited to bring you guys this interview. Gabe, roll us into this. So we are so excited, as we said before, about Chris Chu. Such a great guy. It was so nice you know, getting to know him and learning about his adventures and how he got into film and also how he got down to L.A. So uh, listen up and enjoy Chris Chu. 
Chris Chu. Welcome to I Dream with Cameras. We are so excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's an honor to talk to you too about our camera addictions. And, oh my gosh. Uh, I'm excited, Let me I'm tell excited you something. to see what you guys have. Um, oh my gosh. Oh my God. You are such a person that has that. You feel it through the YouTube channel. The addiction is there. And oh, you're just yeah. like, oh my God. He's one of us. Like you just watch it. You just go, it's the greatest thing ever. But we, for people who don't know Chris's story, Chris, I need you to tell the story from the beginning. I don't no, just, it could be shortened, but I want to tell you that this is so great. Okay. Let's start with your third year of college. Oh, no. <laughs> it's now so good. I'm going to chime in on this, Chris, because we have a lot in common. Oh, it's Go so ahead. good. Okay. It's so good. Go ahead. I'm actually so surprised that you actually know that it's much about so me because good. I don't know how you found me. I actually <laughs> found out through a friend I just recently met, and they went on my account on Instagram and said, like, Gabe Sachs follows you. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. So I didn't know how much you know about me. But anyways, to quickly answer your question, yeah, I... uh I was studying computer science. Uh, I'm from the Bay Area, which is like the number one like career to chase. Oh, Instant yeah. six figures. Totally. In maybe your third or fourth year, you can make like nearly half a million dollars. It's like it's a lucrative business. Right. But I totally dropped out one year away from graduation. So you're at the finish this, line. Like, you're basically at the finish line. You have one more year. It's going to be probably a bit of, you know, it's going to be difficult, but it'll be a kind of a cakewalk because you're right it's there. Doable. You're right there at the end. And what happens? And I dropped out in November of 2018. I made the decision to drop out and to pursue this weird career that is like not very common in the Bay Area, which is pursuing professional photography full time. And um, it was going OK in the wedding business uh, right. from 2018 to 2019. Then March 2020, I lost $27,000 in two days. Mm. And I was like, locked in at home uh oh, in my man. little old house with my parents and then i decided to start making youtube videos to try to help photographers and boom in, so great like, just, i got super lucky people started watching and now we're here talking about fabulous cameras. i love now what this, is the first reaction let me just just take me to that moment when you tell your parents oh okay so <laughs> for, for listeners who don't know who i am i am asian american specifically chinese cantonese chinese and uh, in my culture, like education is huge, financial stability is huge, career, all that stuff. I threw all that out, completely going against the grain, literally could not make it harder for myself at all, pursuing art as a career. Um, the first phone call that I had with my parents, it was venomous. It was, we were throwing <laughs> F-bombs at each other. We were throwing I hate yous to each other. It was, it came to the point where I almost seceded from my family and I oh would be just on my own. It was, it was the worst. And, but the reconciliation process uh, lasted for, I would say a little under two years, but now they really believe in me. It really took them uh, up until the point where they saw like a $6,000 paycheck from a wedding that I got. Love and they're it, like, oh, there it. is money behind it. Yeah. And I was like, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so now good. they believe in me and now they fully support. I love Chris, it. Chris, I want to jump in here. Yes. I come from Atlanta, Georgia. Mm. I come from, I don't know if you can tell by looking at me, but I come from a Jewish family, which <laughs> is also extremely achievement oriented. Mm -hmm. I was a computer science major. Oh, yeah. I went off to Tufts University and enrolled in the College of Engineering. This was in the mid 80s. Same thing. A, my father had been an engineer before becoming a stockbroker. There was a great deal of respect for engineering in the family. The fact that I had chosen to go into the sciences. Same exact scenario. 
In the middle of my third year of college, I announced to them that I was changing my major to film and dance. <laughs> film and dance? Such a combo. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yes. What was the inspiration behind that? It's a long story. For when we go on your podcast, I'll explain that part of the story. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay, Sounds but good. I had the big knockdown drag out fight. My father said, mm. we're going to pull you out of school. You're going to go to Georgia State until you get your head on straight. There was a lot of challenges when I moved to Los Angeles to become a filmmaker. Mm. Our stories are very parallel. And I just want to tell you, you are on a great track to write sitcoms. Oh, it's yeah. all going to work out. <laughs> it's, it's all going to be just fine. It's all going to work right out. Now. <laughs> so good. <laughs> I so identify with your story. I mean, it's like the same moves. Oh, yeah. All right? And That's I just want to tell yeah. you, you absolutely... Betting on yourself is always the best thing to do. Yeah. Betting on your art. And I'm really excited to hear that you're getting that kind of validation and that the, you know, your channel is amazing. Your passion for photography is amazing. I don't have any doubt that you are like on a rocket ship right now. So fun. Oh, thank you guys so much. That is an honor to receive that from you too. I'm, it, I'm, that, that, that means a lot to it's me. It's so fun. Okay. Let's get down to, uh, yeah, let's get down to it. Let's do important stuff. Okay. Ready? Where in the world do you go? Wow, I really like film photography. Like, where does that come in? Like, where's yeah. a camera? Like, who gives you a camera? Where do you find a camera? What made you, what got you hooked like we are? Oh, wow. Uh, I could date it back to November. No, yeah, November 2019. I was going on a photo walk with my friend. And um, we were like out in the Twin Peaks neighborhood of San Francisco. And I had my, uh, I think I was rocking a Canon EOS R back then. Yeah, like yeah, the yeah. first mirrorless that they... Uh, released and then he was rocking i think a nikon f2 or fm2 wow. something like that and um, um my buddy was like into film for like five years at that point and then we took a photo of each other like with with the clouds in the background all that jazz and like for me like i had to pull the highlights back on my raw file i had to pull the shadows up because of a high contrast situation <laughs> right and then for him one like once he took the photo wow. it was perfectly exposed he, he said like he accidentally overexposed it i'm like oh that's tough man he developed it. He scanned it. And I'm like, no way. Wow. I was perfectly exposed. The sky was perfectly exposed. The details of the clouds were still there. He didn't have to pull anything back. I'm like, I need that. I'm like, that makes no wow. sense to me. And then, and then he explained the whole thing about like film latitude, right, exposure right. latitude, da, 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 da. And then uh, I was like, I need to hop on this. So I get my first film camera, which was a Canon P. And um, wow, that was a great camera. It was, it was, it was, it's beautiful. Oh, it's absolutely, I wish I, I wish I kept it. I sold it like pretty, I think like a few months after that, because I found out that my dad still had his film collection. When he found out that I was into film, he was like, oh, I have oh. a box somewhere in the house. So we dug it up. He had a Pentax 645. He had a Konica Pop. He had a Nikon One Touch. I forgot what it's called. And he was like, you need to like take this away from me. So then I got into medium format and it was over. Like was once it. I saw yeah. medium format, it was over. Yeah. And what was that and first then, medium? What was that first medium format camera? The Pentax 645 was handed down to me, but the first one I ever purchased was the RB, the Mamiya RB67 yeah. Pro SD. Yeah. And it was it was beautiful. That was it. All right. Tell me why I don't have this camera. Okay. <laughs> I tell me why I want a big ugly box. <laughs> Tell me why I want that big ugly box. It's a six pound package, Jeff. It is. Yeah, it is. I know. Tell Think me why. It's not for everybody. <laughs> so okay. explain to me. So for anybody who has never used a waist level viewfinder in their life, life looks even better through a ground glass. Stunning. 
stunning. Stunning. Yep. It makes no sense why it looks more rich. Yep. Looks more attractive. There's something about it, even though like you do have to get like calibrated with like you know it's reversed, it's whatever, it's mirrored, all that jazz. There's nothing like looking through life through a ground glass and having a subject react to being photographed through a camera in that way because people are used to the idea of like you know someone holding up like a camera with a gigantic right. lens and you can see right down the barrel and you're like right. well my friend's eye is right behind them and behind that and they're looking right at me like so up close <laughs> but with the waistal viewfinder there's something about it and i've noticed it so many times where like people are a lot more calm because because my face is not directly behind the camera they feel more comfortable looking at an inanimate object totally. and they're like okay there's there's no like magnification on my pimples or magnification on my pores. I'm just looking at a camera and I can be calm. Like the experience is uh, like there's there's nothing like it. OK, do you shoot that camera handheld or is that on a tripod a lot of the time? Oh, I shoot it on. I shoot it handheld. I shoot it like it wasn't designed uh, because <laughs> it was meant for studio workhorse. It was meant for a tripod, cable, release, all that jazz. But no, I shoot it. I shoot it handheld. I love it. I love wow. the weight of it. Yeah, no, if, it's great. If a camera is too light, I actually don't like it. Right. Um, so right, impressive. We're have words about that. <laughs> that. That's fine. That's fine. That is so. I cool. love. I I was looking through your portfolio online, and mm. I was really struck by like the color yeah. that you. And I assume part of that is because I'm looking at medium format. But mm. do you have a particular film stock you like to shoot in that camera? Uh, for the, well. I don't. I don't have the uh, RB six seven anymore. I have the RZ six seven. Yes. But okay. uh, medium format, I really do uh, prefer like Porsche one sixty and I actually. Tell. Yep. And <laughs> actually XR one hundred. I know a lot of people don't like XR one hundred for Porsches because it kind of brings out a, an unnecessary red hue right. in uh, skin tones. But truth be told, like I am severely colorblind, so I can't actually see any of this. It, it, it actually. Well, thank you for um, complimenting on the colors that. Uh, I like have in my photos because it took me eight and a half years for me to actually figure out like a way to translate uh, edit yeah. around my disability. Wow. Yeah. That's mm. fascinating. That's crazy. Um, let me ask you about where does the addiction start? <laughs> so you have the RZ, right? Yes. And you have a couple other things. Where's the feeling of I need that next camera? Is it like me where I see someone with the camera and I go, oh, my gosh, that looks so cool. I need that camera. Or how does it work? Do you see other photographers work or what happens? I mean, like, it's it's pretty similar to you. Like, I see like you with a Hasselblad. I'm like, maybe I could try Hasselblad. <laughs> <laughs> or like I see someone with a, a Mamiya 7 and I'm like, wow, how much is that? And I go on eBay. I'm like, three thousand dollars it's crazy maybe in maybe in a month or something like that but there's there's just something about the allure of um there's just different flavors of making photos with all of these cameras like for for like today's cameras right they're all pretty much perfect you can't really make a bad photo right with like a sony canon or nikon whatever they're like all like perfect right but like with these like you have a range finder in this flavor you have like an slr but like it's through a ground glass so everything is mirrored you have a traditional slr experience through a pentax 67 all stuff so i just wanted to try it all i think that's mainly where it comes from because i'm oh, like yeah. well nobody makes these anymore and like people like them for a reason i just want to try it out and when I say try it out, it, <laughs> it does entail like a like a a catch and release type method by catch. <laughs> yeah. And then I and then I hoard. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Oh boy. 
I notice, okay, I want to talk about your rangefinders in a second, but yes. I notice I don't see any 35 millimeter SLRs there. What's going on? So, yeah, that's a great question. I actually don't own a 35 millimeter SLR at all. Uh, it's because I think when I first started out with picking a camera, like when I picked the Canon P, I didn't want to find a camera that was similar in experience to the mirrorless cameras that I'm like more accustomed to, oh, right? Like, what would like in my in my head and like, I mean, some people can relate to this, some people can't, but in, in my opinion, I'm like, if I'm going to pursue like a different medium like film, why would I shoot it in the same way as I would digitally? Right. That, that's that's, right. that's at least like my I like, like that. feeling. Yeah, I, I like that. that. Yeah. That's why yeah. I love rangefinders. Yeah. They're so different. Oh yeah. We'll talk yeah, we'll talk about that for a second. Cause one of the things I'm sure you have listened to every episode of our Smash Hit podcast. So you probably <laughs> know this. We often talk about how the different tools in the hand of the photographer bring out different aspects of you as an artist. You see differently. Talk about the rangefinder experience specifically, because that's very different from where you started with the six four five. Oh, absolutely. Oh wow, that's a Pretty big question to answer. Uh, yeah, well, we're good at this. <laughs> <laughs> we we asked the real hard hitting right. questions. Hard hitting questions, exactly. But the rangefinder. I think there's something about because like if all this is going to be manual focused, I do feel a little bit more confident knowing that there is a ghost image lining up with a real image. And when those things line up, there is a confirmation that something's in focus. Whereas like with SLR, this is again, this is just me. When I'm manually racking. Uh, a manual focus 35 millimeter camera there's sometimes where i'm like wait is that in focus or is that soft like i can't really tell i don't know if it's because of my own vision or because of the ground glass maybe it's a little bit too soft but there's no like verification that it's sharp i mean some cameras i think do have that like green dot right uh, notification but for rangefinder it's like guaranteed and then there's the whole thing about like zone focusing zone focusing is so know, fun no, no. on like the speedy type no, street no, no. photography stuff all right tell me why i don't do that now tell me What's why like, can here? you actually do that do you like pick a hyperfocal distance and you set it dial it and you don't adjust it jeff i was <laughs> obsessed when i first picked up my first leica i set up cones in my room that are three feet away four feet away oh, five feet away literally gosh. behind my seat I would turn around, pick up the camera and see if I could like get it right in focus. And I practiced that for, I think, two months straight. And now I this this might come off as bragging. I'm sorry, everybody. But Go like, for it. Now I never miss. Oh, my God. I don't I don't so miss cool. any so photo. jealous. I'm so jealous. That's it's, awesome. it's really hard. Honestly, it takes like a, like an obsessive like. <laughs> right. It takes an obsession to get really good at like zone focusing. But I, I have made a video to try to like make it. Like, you know, like very practical for everybody because I think that everybody would enjoy zone focusing. Right. Wow. I mean, you essentially feel, make it a point of shoot. It's so impressive. Yeah. yeah. I feel pretty confident about my ability to judge distances. So I'm not mm -hmm. scared if I go out with a scale focused camera. That's yeah. the same kind of training that you're talking about. Exactly. But the idea of presetting to like five feet on the barrel and F8. And then just assuming, okay, everything from three feet to infinity is going to be in focus. That scares the hell out of me. <laughs> like, I don't know how you would like resist the temptation to diddle the focusing lever, mm -hmm. but you are good at it. Obviously, you're good at it. It, it. it took a long time. And of course, like in focus, in in air quotes, of course, in focus is like, you know, subjective. Sometimes it's a little bit soft here, a little bit sharp yeah. here, but it took that cone training for me to get used to like 
memorizing the finger placement of the finger tab. And I know yeah. like exact because unlike you, like I'm not actually good at judging distance. Like I'm not because like when someone is coming at me and I'm approaching them, like distance is closing fast. Right. But like because of the cone training, I'm like, OK, bam, like I know exactly where that is. That's so good. It, it, it kind of feels like a trap, like in my head, like I like laid out like bear traps from like four feet, five feet, six feet, seven feet. And I'm like, oh, you're in there and I got it. Right. That's amazing. That, well, that really must be is. incredibly useful for the street photography stuff. That oh, you incredibly do. useful. Because you don't even have to pull the camera to your eye, right? You can like. Yeah, sometimes I just pull it you... to the side of my face, but I'm literally looking in the opposite direction. So I'm not bringing attention to myself. That's fantastic. I love it. Now, can we talk about the most important part of your gear? And that would be uh, yeah. your camera bag. <laughs> my camera bag. <laughs> this oh. is where I step out. We have a big <laughs> issue because let me tell you something, Chris. I will never find the perfect camera bag. And I can't tell you how many I have because it's like an insane person. Like you talk about hoarding cameras. Yeah, I hoard cameras and bags. I don't what, get it. What, what kind of setup do you uh, like to use like on the daily or on the go? Well, Chris, <laughs> now I'm going to let you give you a little window into my insanity. Let's do it. I have, to, I have to decide which camera I'm going to take and which two cameras I'm going to take as backups. Because, you know, oh if... Chris, Chris, what if one goes bad? Like, what if somehow some crazy thing, the battery goes dead or something like that? True. It becomes very crazy. Um, yeah, so my my daily thing is a, um, a small Bellingham mm -hmm. and also a small Filson. It's sort of a day bag. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then uh, another one is a fog case I use yeah. uh, as well for, for more things. And... Wow. You know, those are a couple. And then behind me, yeah, I just a couple of the 40 bags. bags. Yeah, I have so many bags. <laughs> I like how none of them are like within like eye shot of me right now. Like I can't see any of them. Oh, no, because <laughs> they're all in the Also, please note, Gabe is talking about when he goes out, he's got three, four, <laughs> the other day, eight yeah. cameras. Eight cameras? Well, that was for a shoot, but yes. Okay, well, that was for a job. But like on the, the daily, you have three Oh, yeah. No, no. Let me just tell you something. Today, I, <laughs> I, I met. Let me tell you. Today, I was showing someone, you know, trying. They were very excited. They got um, a stylus as their first little camera. And I brought film and battery and fixed it up for them. And so excited. And they wanted to see, you know, what other cameras were like. So this is what I brought. I bought the M6. I bought uh -huh. the Rolleiflex 2.8. Absolutely. I bought the Nikon FM3A. And then, of course, why do you have two 35 millimeter cameras? <laughs> oh, yeah, wait. And then, oh, this is silly. Oh, Chris, I cannot wait till you come over to the house. It's going to be oh, so yeah. much fun. We are going to be laughing most of the time. And when you look at my cameras, you'll go, what, what's wrong with him? Now, <laughs> counterpoint. Yes. I, I have a camera bag that I never use. Mm. And I almost never go out with more than one camera. And I also like my cameras to be as small as possible. Like this drives Gabe insane when Makes I talk me nuts. about this. Makes me crazy. But I love half frame cameras oh, yeah. and I love Minox cameras. You have a half frame camera? Which half frame camera do you have? I have a lot of them. I have about 30 of them. You have 30 <laughs> half frame cameras? I only know of one. I mean, I, the Pen F, which is of incredible. Course. Yeah. I have a lot of uh, Canon Demis and Olympus Pens. Mm -hmm. And I have a rare Konica SLR that shoots half frame, a full 35 mm. millimeter SLR. I have a rare variant of the Pentax ME 
that is a half oh, wow. frame. I have a lot of these. I love yeah. them. I love cameras to be small. I don't even like to use a shoulder strap. I like a wrist strap. I don't like a bag. This is something we talk about on the show a lot. Yeah. yeah. I don't bring a backup. I just let it ride, baby. Hey, Chris, how many ride. how many half frame cameras do you have? Uh, Zilch. Yeah, you know why? Yeah, but wait. Okay. Because you want a whole but, cookie. Who wants a half yeah, a cookie? Yeah, I want, I want the whole image. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, Jeff? <laughs> Jeff, may I help 72 you? shots on a roll, baby. 72 shots. 72 half cookies. Exactly. 72 tiny little pictures that <laughs> yeah. you can put in a tiny little photo frame. You don't have to reload your cookie <laughs> holster. Okay. You know, part of the experience is reloading the camera. It feels <laughs> right. so cathartic to do it. That's uh, so good. I want to ask you a question since Gabe brought up the whole idea of having a backup. This is another right. thing I don't do. I, with almost... Well, almost without exception, I don't own multiples of the same camera. But I see there, man, you have a uh, Chrome M6 and a uh, black M6. Oh, I what love it. What are you doing? It's owned two colors of the same pairs of shoes. Yeah, yes. <laughs> what yes, are you doing? I'm with you. So the original idea of me wasting my money on a silver M6 was, hmm, what if I want to shoot black and white today? <laughs> I don't have another M6 to load it up. So I got a silver M6 that was deemed dead by the owner. Oh. Like it was broken here and whatever. And then when I got it, I'm like, it works completely fine. And I got it for a steal. So I'm oh, like, I don't know wow. what he was talking about. Cause I tested it. I like put two rolls in it. I'm like, this is completely fine. Cool. But the idea of a backup, I don't really treat as backup. <laughs> I, tr I treat it very much like a luxury, of course. But like I run, I run a 21 millimeter on one M6 and I run a 35 millimeter on the other for the extreme wide yeah, and for the, I guess, more standard wide or whatever. But it's honestly kind of nice to have the silver one because it's, I don't know, the, the black one was the first one. There's something about the silver one that's like really nice and it's just- Oh, like, it's much better. <laughs> oh, oh, it's- Silver on, cameras oh, are much better. The weird thing is actually, and this I don't know if like most people know this, but maybe they do, a lot of flashes like out there, whether they're like made in the 60s or now in the 2010s, 2020s, all of them work on the silver M6. Not all of them work on the black M6. What? They're what? actually not made the same. Wait, like, do you have the M6 and the TTL? No, they're, they all, they're both M6 classics. And like, if you use wow. a remote flash, they will always work on the silver one. It's a 50-50 on the black one. Never and it's actually a known problem. Wow. Which is so That's amazing. Weird, because why would they make it any different? But anywho, yeah, I have I have two. I'm very obsessed with the whole like a rangefinder system. Yeah. Um, will I ever okay, I thought I was done. I went to the like a Los Angeles uh store and uh my friend wanted to go check it out. I'm like, okay, I'll come with you. And then he tried out the um what's it called? The uh, MA is it's it's mm -hmm. it's like the most updated one, yes. but like it doesn't have a light meter in it. And I'm like, okay, it's exactly like the M6, just without a light meter. But when I used it, it feels different. It feels different oh, no. in a good way. And I'm like, oh, no, I shouldn't have touched that. So I've been looking. I've been looking. But I don't think I'll be pulling the trigger anytime soon. Because two M6s uh, are Look at an M3. Get an M3. An M so the M3 is super nice. I heard it's the smoothest one, yeah. the, the greatest material. But I'm not a 50 millimeter shooter. Get an M2. Oh, okay, so the M2 is nice too, but oh, the something M2 about the M2 has the wider frame lines, baby. That's true. The M2 and the M3 are like, you know, you the know Godfather. what else is fun? <sighs> the Leica CL with the 40 
That's oh, actually my favorite. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. That's right. The one they uh, collaborate with uh, Minolta, right? Yeah, with Minolta. Yeah. I have the CL and it came with a 40 millimeter that was a cooperative between like a Yeah, Minolta. the Roker. And yeah. that 40, well, you can get it with a Roker or it's basically the same optical formula. There's a 40 millimeter Summicron. It's the only 40 oh, like I ever made. That's right. And that's that right. 40 is nice. I like that one a lot. Do you think 40 I'm just throwing it favorite? out there, man. I'm trying to save you from buying an MA. <laughs> oh my God. You're trying to get me to buy another camera though. <laughs> mm. It's always. So how do you refrain from getting that next camera? Like, what do you tell yourself? Or do you go, like, what's the rationale? Because I don't really have any. And I try to go and I try to convince myself that I need it because that look has a slightly different look than this other camera. I honestly wish you didn't ask me that because I just <laughs> bought, because I literally just bought a new camera. Yes. What'd you just what did you just buy? I just bought <laughs> Okay, I don't know when this podcast is coming out, but actually nobody knows this. I I, I recently bought a Hasselblad 501. CM. Yes. What? Because I used to own a 500 and I got really annoyed when I used uh, any lenses beyond the 80 millimeter because yeah. of the whole vignetting thing. Yep. And then I'm like, okay, I'm done with the Hasselblad system. But then I picked up the 501 from this guy in UK because he was selling it for a really good price. And he's and he bought it brand new, like back oh in the 90s. Gosh. And he just got a CLA five weeks ago and he just wow. wanted to let it go. So I got it and it has like the acute mad D screen. And I'm like, okay, how is this going to be any different from my RZ? I picked it up, I shot it and I'm like, damn it. <laughs> I'm oh. not releasing this. So Gabe, to answer your question, I don't have any firewall. I'm so happy. No <laughs> firewall, so no boundaries. Excited. Once I, <laughs> once I'm like, once I'm like out in the field or if I'm going to go on a trip, like I'm going to be in South Africa later this year. And I'm like, wow. man, I can't lug an RZ around. A 501 could fit in my bag, though. <laughs> then, oh, my god! And I just started thinking. And then the deal came up. Wow. And I couldn't resist it. Okay, so, Chris, I did see one of these in your video, and it just went... After seeing all the cameras we had in common, I went, oh, my gosh. So... <gasps> you have the 500 ELM? Yes. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Look at this. <laughs> Look at where oh, you boys. Oh, look you at this. boys. It's oh, so that's yeah. so cool. I just love it's so great. So what happened with this, which I think I've told it on the show, I was at B H New York mm -hmm. and I was and and Chris, one of the guys behind the counter in the used department, took this out without the lens, and it had the it had everything but the lens, okay? Mm -hmm. And it had a Maxwell screen in it. And oh. he was going through the whole thing, and I said, Chris, I Chris, Chris. Can I play with that? He goes, yeah, it works. It works great. So I start playing with it and I go, how much is this? Like, I'm going, oh my gosh, I have not come in here. I can't buy something. I just bought something. And I go, how much? He looks it up because $200. It is the, it is the cheapest Hasselblad my out face. there. My face. I was like, secret. Yeah. you talked about this in your video, Chris. I is did. It somehow is the redheaded stepchild yeah. of the, the Hasselblad line. It's just the M5 the of the... Uh, it is. <laughs> of it the is the M5, M5. exactly. Yeah. That is a great parallel. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's literally the same guts. Same literally guts. takes the same images, same yep. mirror system. It just has a fat motor on it. And if you can stomach that, you got yourself a Hasselblad that uses the same glass it's for so one-tenth of the price. Okay, Chris. I've never had a Hasselblad. 
He's going to shoot Never one, though. One. Soon, he's going to shoot one Never soon. You're going to get one. I know. Done. This is something Gabe pitched this to me the other day. He's gonna. We're going to do an episode yep. where he forces me to use one. Exactly. And talks me into the big ugly box because i've never had a big ugly box time i mean i do look i have a roly 3.5 e i love it twin lens love it when you talk about composing on the ground glass i love it yes but you cannot get me in love with these big ugly box cameras but gabe thinks he's gonna turn me yeah it's gonna happen it will it's literally the best design camera out there Oh yeah, it is in ergonomics. In ergonomics, nobody beats nobody beats Hasselblad in ergonomics. <gasps> oh boy, this nobody I'm in does. shock. I'm, a, <laughs> I'm, in, I'm, a huge I'm in abject guy. shock. I'm a huge Mamiya guy. I love. I don't Mamiya have that either, death. baby. I don't have that. I don't. Rem- my only other medium format is a Pentax six by seven, which I love. I've never been able to fall in love with a six seven. Pentax. Well, but you're not an SLR guy. Your whole deal is you're running away. You're running away from the SLR, Chris. Technically, an RZ and a Hasselblad are SLRs. You know what I mean. The the conventional SLR form factor is anathema to you. So funny. Because if I wanted an SLR, I'll stick with my Canon mirrorless that I have on the bottom shelf outside of the camera's view. So good. All right. I got to ask you one more question. Oh, my God. Okay, we're going to go into extended disco time because I have to ask you Let's a do question. It. Again, you probably have listened to all the episodes of our Smash <laughs> podcast, so you know that I went on a ride about the X-Pan slash mm-hmm. TX1, mm-hmm. TX2, X-Pan 2. I went on a ride, and I ultimately decided that because I have a wide lux, oh. I don't need it. Mm-hmm. Now, then I look at your portfolio and I see these sexy shots yep. that you've taken at the Venice Skate Park mm. with your TX1. And I get that tickle at the back of my neck again. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. No, I want you to talk me out of it. I want you to tell me I don't really need it. It's not that important. Okay, so you have a wide lux. What? Uh, uh, I've recently. Now you know what that is? That. It's a swing lens camera. Yeah. And like right? it kind of has like a little bit of a bubbly effect where like absolutely you it's way distorted. You yeah. get barrel distortion. Distorted, yeah. Yeah. But okay. So I don't what is the focal length of the wide lux? I actually don't I know. I think it's a twenty-eight. I would say stick with the wide lux. I probably lux. made that up. I probably no, made that up. Honestly, <laughs> stick with the wide lux, but have you ever taken portraits with the wide lux? No. I, I mean have. you mean horizontal portraits like horizontal. Yeah. yeah, I mean, look, it's neat. You get your subject stranded in the middle of the frame in right. a really interesting way. It's cool. And the background falls away in this barrel distorted way. I love it. The wide is one of my favorite cameras. But then I see how sexy that TX1 is. <laughs> you don't have the wooden grip, okay? But I would no, be I getting the wooden grip. Mm-hmm. And But then I see that the LCDs fail or the electronics and I get scared. Oh, and yeah. also that they're $7,000 right now. And they are, yeah. 5,000 to 7,000, yeah. This is why I'm trying to get you to talk me out of it, not <laughs> okay. into it. I actually do have a reason why you shouldn't get it. Good, so one, good. I mean, I mean, you did, I mean, you did list out the price tag and it's, and it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And it comes with a standard 45 millimeter. That's the one that everybody gets. But if yeah. you want the like actual like wide one that makes it look very theatrical, the 30 millimeter, yeah, that yeah. lens alone is $5,000. And you got to get the, the filter. Yeah. Right? With the, you, the, yeah, little, the special... little attachment. Yeah. I would say try to take a group photo, like one that like you wanted to like artistically put together, a group photo with your wide lux and you'll never leave it. Okay. So group mm. photos, 
yeah. that are very intentional on a X-Pan are amazing. But mm. on the wide lux, I think if you do it in black and white, you print it, you like you shoot to intend to print it and you actually put it up on your wall, the wide lux wins. Oh, let's see. There I you go. That. Look what he did. That he was did like it. magic. The wide lux will oh, the wide lux will win in terms of like novelty of course like the distortion yeah, for sure yeah like i think some people don't like it but i i personally enjoy it i think if you shoot to print with the wide looks you will never leave it okay all right i mean give it a shot i've gotten uh, i am in a, the midst of a major love affair with the wide lux every time <laughs> i go out and shoot it i love it all the images i feel like it's somehow there's like there's an artist inside me crawling its way out every time <laughs> I pick up this camera, and I don't think it has anything to do with me. I think it's just the <laughs> camera is so damn cool, you know. It's um, really cool. So, all right, okay, Love you kind it. of you kind of brought me to rest. Okay, yes, Gabe. Oh my gosh! Oh my god! All right, Chris, take it, this Gabe. Is we so, can, we're gonna Chris, have, this is so amazing. I mean, just so we're, first of all, we have to now that we're in the same town because you're now in Angelino, right? Oh yeah, yes. As we're getting a few together. Months ago, yep. I'm down here. We get together. We're going to talk more. Okay, yes. Gabe, ask him one more question to wrap this up. Well, ask him he, one more. Ask him the assassin question. <laughs> the assassin. <laughs> the assassin you, re question. you ready? Okay. Uh, yes. All right. You have to give away all your cameras except for one. <gasps> here Which it comes. is the camera? that you're keeping and saying, I'm gonna accept that I can only have one camera. Well, look what he did. That is the assassin question. That's tough. So I go back and forth between my most beloved camera of all time. It's between the M6 and the RZ. Mm -hmm. The RZ is going to forever, like the Hasselblad, it might like leave my inventory. The The other ones might, might leave, but the thing about the M6 is that, of course, it's small, it's pocketable, it's like legendary. Yes. The the glass that comes with it, the rendition is perfect. So is the Mamiya, and taking portraits with it is like legendary as well. It's it's an experience that is no none is like no other. But the thing is, like when I like think about it, like am I always gonna take pictures like on the streets? Probably not, right? Like so that kind of like makes the M6 argument a little bit weaker. But long story short, I think. As of right now, on June 1st, 2022, <laughs> at 9.39 p.m. in Los Angeles, California, I'm going to keep the RZ67. Oh, wow. That's so good. That's phenomenal. It is really yeah, good. I love the way you laid that out, too. That's And all really the like good. a fanboy has just exited the room. <laughs> I don't know. I, I love it. I, I like that great. choice. It's a bold choice. I yep. like it. Mm -hmm. Yep. So good. Chris, you're amazing. Please tell everyone where they can find you on the internets. Okay. Yes, Roll absolutely. it all out. Where are you? Well, well, thank you for having me on this podcast. Don't thank but... us yet. Don't oh. thank us yet. Thank us oh. second. <laughs> okay, I'll thank you second. Well, I already thanked you, but I'll thank you third right. now. Thank us later. Well, if anybody wants to find me, I'm mainly on YouTube. I make content about photography. I like to teach anything that I'm learning about portraiture, about street now or documentary more specifically. They can find me on YouTube. Type in my name, Chris Chu. My last name is spelled C-H-U. Or you can find me on Instagram, who's Chris Chu, W-H-O-S, Chris Chu, C-H-U. And you'll find me in those two spots. 
So the great. infectious enthusiasm that you have brought to this conversation is very typical of your YouTube videos. I love them. Everybody Definitely. go check them out. You are one of And your photography is great. I mean, I love your Instagram feed and your portfolio and stuff. Thank but you, like, you so much. I just much. think the, the, your commitment to like educating people about your film journey and kind of bringing them along with you, it's phenomenal. You're great Thank at you it. Thank you so love much. I, I, I have so much fun with it. Like Everybody should experience it at least once or try it at least once. Oh, I love it. Now go watch Chris's videos. They're a little addicting. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Gabe. Thanks, Jeff. All right, buddy. Really appreciate this. We will talk very soon and we will have you on again. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. You guys have a good one. You too. And we are back. Oh. <laughs> Welcome back. Isn't that great? Phenomenal. You know, this is one of those conversations we could have done the full hour yeah, just totally. with Chris. Yep. And absolutely a guest that we're dying to have back. So much fun. You've already gone out shooting oh, with him. Yes, we have hung Guys, out. Check yeah. out, I mean, he's everywhere, but check out his YouTube channel, Chris Chu, that's C H U. He is just such a gift to the photographic community. I love his charisma and his passion and enthusiasm for this medium. Great. Well, uh, how we do that, Gabe? It's the end of episode thirty-six. What it's, the? What's it's, happened? It's incredible, and it's our first on-location show. It's very exciting yes. that uh, we have a foreign correspondent. Sharp-eared <laughs> listeners may have noticed that my mic is not as good as usual. Okay, that's what it's like, guys, when bombs and flak are bursting all around you. I am Robert Kappa right now. <laughs> all right, respect hmm. me. Now we're going right, to get well, into the Robert Kappa conversation, but never mind. That's right. Is it Robert or is it that other part? Yeah, that's right. Or is it his wife who yes. did all the shooting? Exactly. Right. Exactly. No. Okay. As always, you can find us on the Instagram at I Dream of Cameras. You can go to our website, idreamofcameras.com yes. for all your needs. You can email us at idreamofcameras at gmail.com. Gabe is Gabe Sachs. I am S. Jeff Greenstein. Why? Because Jeff Greenstein is an embezzler from Seattle. Okay. <laughs> okay. So true. And let's do our thank yous. Oh my gosh. Thank you, episode. Keith Greenstein, for all of your amazing graphic work and giving us a look and, and stickers and all this kind of stuff, which of course I'm I forgot some to with get. Me to England. Oh, please give them out all Citizens over Citizens of United Kingdom. If you see me on the street, I'm easy to spot. I'm six, seven and bald. I have die cut and a original OG. I drive camera so, stickers. I cost me. So exciting. And then, um, you know, of course our wonderful Fred Corey, who is our composer and give us sound and sound effects and all kinds of stuff. We, we really appreciate it. So there you have it. And that brings to a close a rollicking. <laughs> did we rollick? We did. I think we maybe did a, we did. We did a little rollicking. A rollicking episode 37. Gabe, take us out of here. So here's the deal, people. When someone guilts you into getting a meter that's natural <laughs> to your thing, and I know I've said this before, don't do it or you'll end up with the grainiest pictures you've ever seen that just look like sand. It looks like you poured sand over it. But, you know, you just, you just have, or just give it back. Just guilt someone back. Like, tell them, I can't believe you're not taking a bag to London. You have two cameras. What bag are you taking? No bag, man. <laughs> All right, you guys, thank you for listening, and we will talk at you soon. <laughs>